Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Does this mean that our wear deer stuff isn't going to be on there? Yeah. If we, if we want to talk Just about wear deer, we to... stuff. Wear deer. Okay. So we'll the move. Run it again. Run it again. All right. Run it. Again. <laughs> yeah, the move. So what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> There's a new movie out that's advertised on Hulu called Antlers, where the dad turns into a wear deer and uh, locks himself in the closet and tells his boys not to open the door under any circumstances. But of course, they do at the end of the commercial, and it flashes to the beast that he's become, which is this kind of half man, half deer. A wear deer, but it's a but it's a mean deer. It's a mean wear deer, right? It's not just like a, not, a, a, not a gentle, right. gentle, majestic creature that I thought it would be. <laughs> don't un- open this door under any circumstances. I don't want it to get out that I, on full moons, turn into a gentle, majestic creature. <laughs> Yeah, the only thing it takes to stop me is just a couple of flashlights, <laughs> and I what? will literally freeze. <laughs> oh. Oh. It I- is crazy though. You can have, you could probably have a shot of like the little Bambi baby deer, but you put the right music to it. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. that's you true. Just have like some some epic background music there. You'd be like, man, am I supposed to be afraid of this little, of this little baby deer? Is, is that deer evil? <laughs> well, feed it. I mean, at least give it some food. <laughs> well, you ever see the movie Gremlins? Back in oh, the yeah. day? Throwback. Mm-hmm. 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 No. Yeah, the uh, gizmo, the little pre-gremlin. I forget what they call them. But they basically look like a Furby. They were kind of cute. But then when you get them wet or feed them after midnight, it's scary. They turn into those are the rules. Beasts. Yeah, you can't get any water on them, and you can't feed them after midnight. Huh? Yeah, and if you do, then these little monsters pop out of their back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their backs start to bubble, and then they reproduce into gremlins. And so they like shed their their Furby skin. I think the Furby nope. remains a Furby. Yeah. yeah, he stays a Furby. Oh, it must be it must be a metaphor. Like they're probably speaking to something. Like we all have these monsters embedded in our skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Right. You can relate to it. Yeah. Unless you have worms, then it's literally embedded in your skin. Ugh. <laughs> we changed the subject. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, hey, hold on. My brothers, they're they're wrestlers. Speaking and, of worms. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's like totally common. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Is that I actually, I thought that was a bacterial thing. It wasn't actually a worm. Yeah, that's, I, I, the way that I understand, it, I think that's actually true. Mm-hmm. What, what, what you're, the way you're describing it. Yeah. Speaking of metaphors, I was thinking about using this for my homily today. Uh, I don't have mass until 7 p.m., which is a unique thing about campus ministry on a Sunday morning, which is why I look so relaxed and chill right now for those watching on video in the coffee shop here. 
which is now on Google, and we have a sweet website, um, Google Maps. If you Google us, we look like a real coffee shop. Coffee in my wow. area. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And and it's core coffee, is that right? We were trying to figure out how to say it. Yeah. Oh, because because the O cool. looks cool. 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 The O cool. looks a little bit like a U. Sacre cure. Sacre cure. Yeah, speaking of metaphors, I had this uh, I had this experience with a, a box of exploding kittens. Have you ever heard of that game? It's a card game. Uh-uh. Oh, no. Yeah, I do know that card game. I had a very bad experience with um, it's a similar card game about unicorns. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, bad experience. Continue. Yeah, real bad, real bad. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. Okay. Nope. We don't have nope. to. Whenever you're ready. Yep. Not ready. <laughs> Check again in a year. <laughs> so I uh, I played the game for the first time on a mission trip last spring break, and it was very enjoyable. Uh, it's a good way to get to know people. It's kind of tense and cutthroat. You have to try to get other people to pull the card that makes them die. Um, yeah, it's sort of, it's for a card game. It's quite exciting. And, um, the other day I was going over to dinner at, uh, someone's house with some friends and I took it with us, took it with me, but I'd forgot to check if the box had cards in it. And do you ever ever have that thing happen in your head where, Turns out there were car- the cards were in the box, but I just felt this lightness, but I didn't bother to like check. And then I was already on the way in the car and I thought, I wonder if the cards are not in the box. You know? And then that that little doubt enters in your in your mind. And then you start to imagine what's gonna happen. And all of a sudden this thing is like, oh, I think I'll just bring the card game. Became this story in my head where it's gonna get to after dinner. And I'll say, let's play Exploding Kittens. That'll be fun. And then we open the box and it's empty. It's kind of like, I've also thought of this with the podcast. Like, oh, let's get, you know, okay, we got a time. We're all going to talk. And then and then the computers completely defecate in the bed. And um, you're just like, well, I was excited to do something. And now it's a total disappointment. That That empty feeling to me is very strong. And uh, it became this sort of metaphor for life. Or I just thought, I just thought, like, what if you take that feeling? Maybe because I've been thinking a lot about discernment of spirits, and uh, applied it to your life. You know, like this this sinking feeling that in the end, I'm going to open the box and it's going to be empty, and we're just going to have to be like, well, I mean, we expected more, but this is the crappy situation that we've been dealt. So, bummer. Hmm. you know now like you could take that all the way to death and heaven that you're just like building up to this experience and then what if you open the box and it's like not that good or it doesn't exist um and then more practically or on a on a smaller scale like your life your commitments your you know i thought priesthood up to this point seven years um has been beautiful, consoling, joy-filled, 
in many ways different than I expected and different kinds of sacrifices and, and hard times than I thought. But even those have been woven into this beautiful story. But what about tomorrow or the next day or my next assignment or whatever? Am I going to open the box and it's just going to be like, Bleh. and what I thought was, and it turned into kind of a grace was that, um, I guess the way I put it is that I am not the architect of my own life and that the happiness that is in store for me at any given moment is not because I planned it or because I chose the right thing or brought or checked to make sure that the cards were in the box. You know what I mean? That it's not you who chose me. I chose you. Um, and the metaphor that then became, that came to my head, uh, now I'm thinking of the were deer because it's a, a growth analogy. And I'm picturing I thought, it, I thought it would come back to the were deer. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought about organic like trees and, and roots and uh, plants and fruit and stuff like that, that just like my garden looks insane right now. It's fall, but the, the squash vines have just grown and grown and grown. I haven't really tended it very much and there's weeds and um, that, that inexorable process of like seasons and growth and, um, nature is you can like fail to tend to it or guide it, but it's going to happen one way or the other. And that's kind of like the kingdom of God. It's just coming, you know? Um, it's not like, like this chapel project or this coffee shop where like, I'm going to build it up and I'm going to hope that it works and people really like it, but one day it's going to fall apart and it's not going to still be here when Jesus comes back, you know? Um, but the kingdom is this seed. It's this growing thing. So, um, like that I'm not on for my own fulfillment that we actually are not making heaven come to earth by our projects, by doing everything right. And that even if, and I guess this is the point, even if the cards weren't in the box, um, it's okay. There's some greater joy, you know? And that, I, I think that's like the attitude towards life that is, that is necessary. One of trust and hope, um, that, I think what it gets down to is like what was happening in my head in the car was like, do you believe in God or not? You know, is there a God and does he love you? And this little question of did I bring the cards or not became a metaphor for that whole thing. I don't, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm describing it well, but it ended up being this grace of consolation that like, no, I'm, my life is a story that's being written by God, not me. Yeah. I'll be, I, the, the empty box thing, I don't like, I don't see the line exactly what you're drawing, but the, the effective movement that you're describing sounds very powerful. And I will relate very much to the, the premise of the question of like, is God real or not? Like it's this lens to, to see the world that actually does make a difference in, in the day to day very, very much. Um, so I don't have too many other thoughts um, on on that. I relate to it, I guess, yeah, processing it in a couple of different ways. Anything from you, Mike? Yeah, I, I guess what I hear with the box <clears throat> thing is that you're not on to bring 
the materials, the the stuff to make yourself happy Mm -hmm. and and, and to, to find fulfillment and joy and uh, communion with other people and communion with the Lord. Like he's going to provide, which uh, why I love recently a lot of the gospels have been this return. Well, one, the, the hilarious conversation between the apostles of who's greatest. And then Christ always turns to the child and says, no, this is, if you want to be truly great, you got to be like one of these, these little ones. And like, I, I mean, with Therese, we just celebrated her feast a couple of days back. Like the little kids, if you can get a squad of three kids from house to car with pairs of shoes on each of their feet, success, <laughs> you know? So it's like you, they don't rely on, well, they rely completely on everybody else to provide for them. And so it's like, I mean, it's like that, you know, you, ha- you just have to be a, a kid and let the father provide. Cause like sometimes you forget to put on your pants, you know, it's like, yeah, you better believe you're going to forget the cards mm-hmm. one day, but to the kingdom of God, it goes to the, to the childlike. Um, and they're just open, you know, they have no clue like the 30 minute planning strategy that mom and dad had to go through in order again to get them from just the house to the car mm-hmm. in the span of like a 15 minute time period. It's like a full army logistics process, you know, but the kids is like, <laughs> you know, gets in his little, uh, his little, his little high chair or at the restaurant or whatever, gets in his little safety seat in the car and, just ask for a snack. Mm-hmm. You're like, he just assumes there's going to be a snack there. Yeah. He didn't even bring his pants. Right. And that, that's the thing is like, I guess what, what hit me with the card thing was that the affective movement of like, Oh man, when you, when you mess up, there's disappointment and unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And, um, it costs you something or things just don't go your way. Uh, not the way you expect it, and just like the the um, if that happens on such a small scale, this huge thing of heaven, you know, um, as you get closer to death, you know, you you're less and less able to provide for yourself. Uh, usually, you get older, you get sicker. Um, but I've seen it in people like that are getting older, they just grow in a certain trust that they're being provided. Like they learn the lesson of grace and maybe I'm in a time in my life where I'm just doing and doing and doing. And I need to, I need these reminders. Like I feel much more that prayer is, is just, um, I can't live without it because it's the only time where I realize, like, no, I'm not, I don't need to be answering emails all the time or doing, you know, talking yeah. to this or that person to make this thing happen. Um, this, it, it was, what was consoling about the movement was in battling that this, whatever lies <laughs> deception that's going on in my head, that's making me feel anxious or despair. Um, the truth of it was this image. And that's maybe why I'm not, articulating great but that that organic image of like what's happening here at newman all the good that's happened since i've been here 
that I'm proud of and I'm happy about <clears throat> has been a has been a growth, you know, a maturation of a seed, not me or anyone else being brilliant planners. Does that make sense? Uh, like builders or architects. It's that mm. we're cooperating with with this inexorable movement, which is personal. It's not just this cosmic thing. It's God's love. It's him having a plan and and using us to carry it out. And even us messing it up is somehow a part of him bringing it to fruition. And I guess that's like when the rubber meets the road, the ultimate act of trust in that fact is dying and being like, I'm going to wake up and the streets are going to be made of gold and whatever it is. I don't, I haven't, I has not seen ears, not heard knows it's so much as entered our minds, what God has in store for us. But if he's provided for us like this, yeah. I love that a uh, box of cards got you there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or lack thereof, cards yeah. in the box. And the cards were in the box. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. And I will say, too, it wasn't even like a long... I think I, I was driving with someone else. So it, this all happened in my head very quickly. I, I'll throw this out there and see if it relates at all. And I don't know that it will. I'm just trying to take the sharing of your, yeah, very beautiful, effective movement there related well, but to relate to it. Uh, so I'm going, I start retreat uh, this evening. Um which I'm very much looking forward to. And I think the last time we casted, we had, we talked about like what graces we've been asking for and all of that. But I don't know, all this kind of imagery for me lately has been around just, just the heart um, and, and trying kind of like desperately asking t to not have a hardened heart. And so maybe that's kind of where I relate there is, um, there is like that posture towards the world of like seeing it organically and just as a, like as a steward or like a cooperative waiter with grace, however, whatever language you put, you put on it, like there, yeah, like the one thing, probably not the one thing, but one thing that is necessary there is not to have a hardened heart, like towards the world to go back to again and again that like God is real and that he's personal and he's with you. And um, there's this kind of movement towards something that we don't fully know or understand or whatever it is that's coming that we hope for. But I don't know, it, it, there's still this tension. So I've been trying to put, put words on it of um, like being in the temporal and having responsibilities and making decisions and all of this stuff that, I also don't want to be aloof to those things either. Um, so anyway, moral of the story, what I'm asking for, the grace that at least right now I have for this coming retreat is to ask God for a stout heart, like to be stout hearted. Um, because that that's at least the language to me that is that is fitted of like 
man, I really, I just, I honestly understand where like priests or whoever, like seeing the world as it is can have, can have a very, very hardened heart where all of a sudden it just does become like getting things done over and over again, day in, um, day out. Um, and I don't want that, but you also have to like stay very present to, to those things. And it was a, it was a Weigel line when he was describing Baron, I think, I don't know where I had seen it, but it just kind of came to me kind of like searching for, you know, a line or, or some type of image to try to put words on the desires that are going on. And he described Baron and one other guy uh, of being like stout hearted friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, man, that's what, that's what my desire is in these days. If I can ask what, if you could make a distinction, um, cause like the, a stout heart being stout hearted there, there's something that's like really resolute and firm and like a, a type of toughness to it, but it's different than a hard heart. Yeah. What would you say are some of the, are the differences there for you? I think that, well, I mean, I, at least how I process that a hardened heart like has bitterness in it or like some type of resentment. I'll, maybe I'll answer it with an image that at, le- at least has been coming to me. But the, the uh, you guys have seen Band of Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. The show, the old show. And so I love, um, as many people do, but uh, Major Winters in in that show, kind of like his development and just the guy in general, what I know about him in, in real life. But there's, um, kind of in the, the middle of the show, I can't remember what town they're at, but they have to hold the line like in the, in the snow Mm. for so, so long. They're at Bastogne and then they, they go into one other city, but yeah, Bastogne is one, maybe that's what I'm thinking of actually. Um, but they kind of, they just get, this, I mean, kind of like impossible assignment to just to hold, hold the line. Like that's what their, that's what their job is. But he's the one, at least it seems like that he, he like sees the reality of it, of like, these are the resources he has. This is what he is, what he has to do. And like, it's just never about him in those moments. And there's just this like steadiness that, that is there. And so I guess what I, like a stout heart would also not be looking for like an escape or for anything other than reality where a hardened Mm -hmm. heart does. Um, So that's the Mm -hmm. image there. I can flesh it out more, but I don't know anything to that. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, well, Bishop Bob, um, Bishop Bob Lombardo, not the other Bishop Bob. Um, he was the first one that I really heard use the word convicted in a, in a way that, um, I guess, made me, that, uh, that made sense to my heart, that uh, did have an affective and intellectual understanding and, and movement of it. And yeah, there's something about the like firmness and the resolve that like, I, I want to live in the reality of like the victory of of Christ or the reality of like I I may not always feel this way, but I'm convicted that it's reality. 
meaning like, you know, to add your other image, Connor, like when I get to heaven, it's not going to be a, an empty box of cards, you know, that, that it's actually going to be what God says it is, which means that I'm going to assent fully to what I believe in, in the faith and like the, the firmness of conviction that you're going to live according to that. Um, I, it may come, come down to a difference in where the, the firmness of heart comes from. Cause with the hard heart, it's coming from a place of usually resentment and hurt and, uh, or, or just tired pain and suffering. So you're just like, no, I'm going to bunker down and do my thing. That's a very different thing than saying, no, I believe in this. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold the line and do my thing and be uh, firm hearted and convicted about those things. So that, that word conviction, I guess, is the thing that, that I relate it to. I want to be convicted of the things that I assent to believe with my mind. I want my heart to be convicted to live in accord with those things. Hmm. And it's not always. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, one of, one of the things I fear, um, is like, I'm very happy right now and the Lord is doing a lot in my ministry, in my own spiritual life. And it's like St. Ignatius says, store up the consolation for the time when the, the desolation comes. Like I also, I also know that there's also hard stuff going on and, um, but the Lord is in that too. And I'm able to see it and he's helping me, but there is this fear that, and maybe this is where your desire for a stout heart comes from. And that image of the priest, that's just kind of like mailing it in. Um, this fear that maybe the next thing won't be good and it will be empty of meaning. And, you know, I'm going to be put somewhere where I just can't bear any fruit. And, uh, that's this unforeseen, unforeseeable future thing that doesn't exist and never will, you know? And, um, it's kind of like the, when St. Ignatius has that feeling, um, and he, he realizes it's the, de- it's the devil whispering in his ear and he's like, you, you can't promise me another minute of life. And you're trying to, you're trying to doom me with a eternity of, of misery, you know, like you're trying to say, oh, the rest of your life is going to be terrible. Um, rather than like in this moment here and now, here's the Lord. And he's led me to this point. Why would I think that ne- the next thing is going to be crap, <laughs> you know, or that he's going to just stop showing up and that, that, and even if the box is empty, even if like I, I do get put somewhere where on the surface, it just looks like what a bummer. You know, I'm going from great to not good. The Lord is still going to be there, you know, and somehow he's going to use that to bring about. Um, and I think that's what it, maybe what you're talking about with a stout heart, at least the way I see it, like the winter's image is just, yeah, confronting reality with this absolute courage and conviction that the Lord is in it, that there's no, there's no better reality if I had just done it different or whatever, you know, if I just planned ahead better or, and it kind of reminds me too of something my dad was talking about. He read this book about a guy, his name was Boyd. I think he was at a, he was a pilot, a fighter pilot early on, like in the Korean war. 
and now I'm forgetting if the Air Force existed then or if it was just the, I think it did. Yeah, I think they did. But he might have been Navy. Anyways, he, um, you may know something about this, Mike, or your dad. He, he evidently like invented many of the tactics of dogfighting and changed the way that uh, the airplanes were made. Like he was not a fan of the F-14 because it was too heavy and he was big about like maneuverable planes because it, it was all about positioning and stuff. So he was, uh, he advocated in the Pentagon for the F-15 and the F-16. Long story short, he was like the Wright brothers of, of um, dogfighting and, and fighter pilots. And he, nobody liked him because he was just this really acerbic dude who didn't care about politicking and and like you're in government and the military and generals and all these, you're having to like convince them, um, these huge contracts and building airplanes and standardizing things in the military. And, and he just fought for it because he believed in it so much. He was so convicted about, uh, and also because these were his guys' lives, you know, like the better that we train them and the better equipment we give them, um, the more, of our men we will save, you know, the more successful we'll be. And that was like his one driving force. And um, even though he was like a really hard guy to work with, he had super high standards for everybody that that was on his team. He, he had tons of people that wanted to work with him. And he would always say to them, you can either be somebody or you can do something. Meaning you can be somebody like you can be a general, you can, you know, have everybody think you're awesome. You can have all the pins on your vest and, and be somebody special who can give out favors and whatever, or you can do something like you can't, you don't get any credit. You're not going to be, um, you know, have your name on any plaques or, or anything like that, but you're going to be part of something bigger than you. And you're going to do something really cool. And I realize also our like being and doing thing. It doesn't really line up like being is primary to doing. But I think what he's saying and how I applied that to my own life um, is that when you, it's kind of like what Baron's always talking about, the, the theodrama, von Balthasar's idea, like the ego drama versus the theodrama. The ego drama is trying to be somebody. I'm like, it doesn't matter if cool things get done in my lifetime or, or whatever. It's just like, I want the credit, you know? And I feel that sometimes the temptation to just create a narrative about yourself and regardless of like the truth or the reality of what's happening, all that matters is people's perception of you or your own perception of yourself, which is a fantasy. Whereas the theodrama is like, I am almost nothing. You know, like I'm, I have so little responsibility for the outcome of this whole project, which is the kingdom of God. And yet this tiny responsibility that I have is so much more important than any of that ego crap. You get what I'm saying? Um, and that's, uh, I don't know if that connects to your stout hearted thing, but to me, that's the conviction that keeps you going no matter what, and allows you to stay in this moment of like where God is and what he's doing through you. Um, yeah, I, I do have a fear that I want to articulate. Um, I have, Bob, I don't know two minutes by the way. Oh, you have two minutes? Okay. Um, well, well, maybe I'll save it for another one, but... Just throw um, it out there. Fire away. Yeah, because what, what I found is that when 
I do have <laughs> very short periods, very short periods when I live with a convicted heart and, uh, you know, I live in the reality of those things and, um, uh, avail myself to the presence of Christ, especially within the presence of my people and in the face of my people, that what happens is the more and more that you're, that I'm radically available, the more and more people does like take need you that's not the right word the more and more people uh like ask of you and so the more and more that you make yourself available the more and more people will come and, and demand like demand your love for them but then on the flip side if you kind of stay at a distance and kind of keep your heart a little bit closed and reserved and um, the people don't ask as much from you, mm. which is a, which is an odd thing. So it's like grace begets grace, but it does require you to give of yourself. But man, I could just as easily live as, uh, you know, doing, doing like an hour of work a day and kind of setting my schedule like, really finely and just the way that I like it and I, everything would probably be fine. But as soon as you start to become radically available, like I want to live in the conviction of how I think a priest should live. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. This is super duper demanding. And so I guess a, a part of that fear is like, well, what if I live in that conviction and it demands too much of me? Mm-hmm. Like, because so far as I can tell, there's no limit to it. Right. It's like as open as you are, people will, I mean, we talked about it in theory and seminary, like there's infinite need. Like, no, you don't get it. There's like infinite need and like real need for, for God's grace. And like, you could go around and man, meet with 10 families a day. And they would all really need it because they're all going through some sort of a crisis. And it's like, whoo. I think um, if we could wrap up in like 30 seconds, yeah. my, my response to that, because I, I sympathize with that as well, is that in a way it's also the card box um, that like, uh, while that is true, it, it it is true. Like the more you give, the more people will ask. That doesn't mean that, that, what it means to be a saint or good priest is to just I'm giving all the time and I will eventually be sapped. It's it's that God is writing a story with my life and that there, there's no such thing as a, like a random act of kindness. Father Hebden always talked about this. It's all providential. It's all ordained, you know, and that's, that's what it is to be a priest is to be another Christ. And Christ is working through you for specific people through your humanity and your personality you're preaching, you're, you're teaching, you're sanctifying, you're governing. Um, not in a way that's like, he will not, in other words, lead you to a place where you can't. It's just nothing but life-sucking uh, emptiness. You know what I mean? Like any, any th- voice that says that is you're on for your own joy. And if you if you don't guard yourself, you don't if you don't stop it at some point, you know it's gonna you're gonna open the box and it's gonna be like ugh, priesthood. You know what I mean? You're gonna drown, right? Yeah, it's the vine and the branches, dude. Mm-hmm. Vine and the branches. It's the deer and the antlers, man. It's the deer and the antlers. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. See you, dudes. Later. Have a good day. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.